Deuteronomy 27. <clears throat> and we're just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, as we do every Wednesday night. And we have started a new section in 27, chapters 27 to 30, the retelling of the law or the reinstruction of the law from Moses has now been completed and we're going to be in a new section <clears throat> and many Bible commentators say that the rest of the book of Deuteronomy is the history of Israel in advance because God is going to be foretelling through Moses the blessings, the cursings, the things that will happen at that time that they enter into the promised land and what will happen for generations to come and all those things are going to take place in, in one form or another. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and you're going to see what I mean as we read verses 1 through 8. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it applies to those that were staring at the Jordan and wondering how they were going to cross and into that promised land, Lord, the battles that were in front of them. And it also applies to us here in the 21st century on this side of heaven, Lord, and the battles that we have to fight here until your glorious return where you set all things straight. And we pray that you would teach us this evening from your word as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read now verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the, la the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the, uh, the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that a mount at Mo excuse me, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with the lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God, and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings, and shall eat there, and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Now, that's got to be some big stones and plaster. And so that's what they're talking about, getting these earth stones. Um, <clears throat> I remember as a kid uh, growing up in the summers of Oregon, there, uh, we lived on the South Umpqua River. And I always went in the summertime, so the river was always very low. And you would have all the river stones, and they were all round, and you could pick them up. And my grandparents put around the house the stone garden. It was all full of river stones. And that's what they were doing then. Um, that portion of Israel has lots of rocks all over. They just reach out, they grab the rock, they put it up there. And so on Mount Ebal, they're told when you cross over to the promised land, when you go over there, when you have victory, when God gives it into your hand, all prophesying, all prophetic. They, they're to go and they're to put these heaps of stones together, this altar. But what's different here is they're commanded to whitewash it with plaster. They're to plaster it. So it's just a big white mound, and then they're supposed to write this law, and this law shall be prominent on the top of the mountain. 
Now, there's a couple of different things that I want to dissect here that we want to talk about from the text. But the nation of Israel is to be based on the word of God and the revelation of God. They're to be God's chosen people. Later on in this chapter, we're going to see what happens when they're not God's chosen people. God doesn't change his mind. The people of Israel, with their actions, decide to walk away from the Lord. That's when I want to get to what's called conditional and unconditional covenants. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Right now, I want to talk about these stones. It, the Bible says here that they're not to have any iron implement, no iron tool. Man is not to carve them, not to shape them, not to make them into square bricks, not to make it into a nice wall. They're not to make it ornate. They're not to put designs on it. Why? I believe it's so that no one person can look at it and say, I did that. I made that. Doesn't that look great? Doesn't that look great? Ancestors would say, oh, my great-great-grandfather made that. Because it distracts us from what? What's being written on there, which is the word of God. And when I read this text and I think about it, all I can think of is the church. Because some people will say, well, I'm not going to go to that church. It's not a real church. They meet, they have, where, where's the front door to that place? Nobody even knows how to get in there. There's no glass windows. There's no pews. There's no fancy woodwork, except for a couple little things here. I don't even, that's not even a real church. I can't get close to the Lord there. Now, I visited uh, Europe. My, my family is from the Netherlands, Holland. And when you go there, every town has a Protestant church, a Calvinist church, and every ch uh, town has a Catholic church. But these places are cathedrals. Uh, they're hundreds of years old. They have ancient stones, ornate uh, carvings. Even the Protestant churches, which are uh, the Calvinist churches, which are devoid of all pictures, and they're very plain in comparison to the Catholic church, to us here, are very ornate and very traditional. And we begin to look at things with our mind and say, oh, well, that's the spiritual place. Or my hands made that. Or I'm closer to God with this thing. And what church is Jesus known for? Yes, as it was his custom to teach in the synagogues. Yes, he taught in the temple. But where was the presence of God? Wherever Jesus walked is where the presence of God was. Think about this for a moment. God had given direct instructions on how his temple was to be built. And his entire temple is built as a shadow, an illustration of Jesus Christ. But Jesus was rarely there. He was outside of the town. He was in the region of Decapolis. He was in Galilee. He was in those regions where the people were, where the sinners were. And he went to them. And wherever he was, was the word of God, was the spirit of God. There was healings. There was lives being changed. There was baptisms. There was people being raised from the dead, people receiving their sight, the lepers being cleansed. Because our eyes get focused on the wrong thing. And then even worse, as I mentioned earlier, we begin to think, well, I did that. Oh, well, that ministry wouldn't exist without me. Well, if that ministry won't exist without you, it shouldn't exist. Because it should only exist if our Lord Jesus Christ is there and he's leading it. Oh, that church wouldn't run without me. Well, it should, then let it go. Because it's not from the Lord. Wherever the Lord is. And shame on us if we begin to look at things 
and thinking that we have any part in it. And so here in Israel, they were to go to this mountain. They were to put these stones together, not touch them, not chisel them, begin plastering. And what's the priority? The word of God. I'll never forget well, as a young man, I just become a believer. I was on fire for Christ. Anything that had to do with church, I was there. And I had a day off from school. And so I went down to the church and I asked Pastor Mark, hey, is, you know, is there anything I can do in here? Anything at all? And uh, he said, oh, yeah, you can clean the bathroom. The floor is really, really nasty. And so I was so excited to be scrubbing that vinyl floor. It's like, yes, I'm serving the Lord. It was so awesome. But I had to go ask him a question. So I go to another portion of the church, and there he is on the floor in the sanctuary, and he has got the rattiest, cheapest Bible that you could get that was just sitting in one of the pews. It was one of those pl the paper ones, you know, that are like $2 each, and they throw them in the youth group room because they know they're going to get destroyed. Pages were all folded over on it. And what's he doing? He's got that thing laid on the ground, and he's reading from it. I go, man, you, you, you can't afford a more important Bible, a, a more special Bible. Like you don't have a gold leaf Bible. You don't have one that has all your notes in it, you know, special writings on it. You don't have like some commentaries. Aren't these supposed to be like on a fancy desk, like mahogany desk with a special lamp? There he was sitting on the carpet reading from the cheap Bible. But what is the lesson? Is the word of God any different written on those papers, on those pages, than it is on our $100 Bibles, on your custom Bible? I tell you this, is the word of God any different from your Bible that has your custom name on it in its special cover? Or the one that you've had for 35 years ever since you got saved. None of that matters. It's the word of God. That's what matters. It's the God that made those promises. It's the God that speaks those words. And are we obedient to it? We, unfortunately, because we are bent, because of our sin nature, our flesh, which we wrestle with, we begin to take our eyes off of what is important. On the highest mountain, I shouldn't say the highest, but on a mountain, Mount Ebal, they were to build this mound, whitewash the word of God written, and they were to obey it. Natural, everything pointing to the Lord and not man's hand. Well, let's continue now in verses 9 through 10. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen. O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. So the Moses and the priests, well, Moses is saying because Moses isn't going to be teaching anymore because he's not going with them over to the Jordan. And remember, this is his final saying. So Mo, um, I'm going to keep making this mistake. So the people... Uh, being led by Joshua are going to go into the promised land and the Levites are to consi consistently teach you know, we have one God, we're to follow his words and we're to obey them we're to obey the commandments we know as New Testament believers we cannot keep the Bible we cannot keep the commandments that if you err in one area, if you have making one mistake one sin, the punishment for that is death, you have to keep the whole law which no one can. And the nation of Israel shows us that. 
as we continue to go through the Old Testament, I'm going to constantly refer to Galatians. The law is a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. It shows us our errors. It shows us our misdeeds. It reveals the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, as it says in the book of Hebrews. But here, the Levites are to continue to warn. Take heed and listen. Take heed and listen. And so, that principle remains today. The pastors and teachers should be teaching the word of God. First and foremost, it should be the top of our mountains, written in white, carved in stone, cannot be changed, and we we conform to it. We don't conform the word of God to the world or to man. Man conforms to the word of God. It never changes. And it should be the very foundation that not just the church is based on, not just ourselves or our families, but our country and our people should be based on the word of God. Instead, they want to take it down from everywhere. They want to take down the Ten Commandments. They want to remove the word of God. They want to erase portions they don't like. Nothing's changed. Y'all, I don't know why you're so uh, upset about it. Mankind hasn't changed. The word of God remains the same. It's powerful. It should never be changed. Yes, our, our nation has been changing its ways, but if you're a student of American history, you see that great revivals, great awakenings have come and gone in our nation over and over again. I myself am an optimist. I pray for one great revival before the Lord's glorious return and that we're going to continue on the mountaintops to proclaim the word of God. And if people are going to be upset about it, then let them be upset. If people are going to congratulate us and have big crowds about it, okay, but we know they'll be gone soon. We don't base our teaching and our interpretation and our way of life based on how many seats fill the church up or what the polls say for the government. It doesn't matter what judges are in office. The word of God remains the same and it never returns void. And so that's what the Levites were commanded to do. They were commanded to teach and instruct the people to keep the word of God. And they were to be intercessors there at the altar, at the tabernacle, and then eventually at the temple. We no longer sacrifice animals because Jesus is our great high priest. And he is our sacrifice once and for all mankind. It's so, it's, I don't care what they call the religious club, but it is not a church capital C, the body of Christ, if it's not preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and the full counsel of God's word from Genesis to Revelation. When the emphasis becomes on what man's hands are making, when the emphasis becomes on anything that takes away from the word of God, it's just a waste of time. And so we may nod our heads and say yes, but take heed. Are you obeying that in your own heart? Is that true in your own home? You see, we may complain about the Ten Commandments coming down in the school, but is the word of God written in your home? Is it on your walls? Is it what you're partaking of in your house? So we complain about uh, the government and, and America legislating prayer out of schools. Well, is prayer in your house? Is it in your home? Are you leading your own home the way that you wish to see the church and eventually our government? That's the conviction. And the Levite from the top of Mount Jubal is supposed to proclaim that with the word of God written in stone, written 
in stone. And just in case that wasn't enough, let's read verses 11 through 13. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal. I think I said Jubal earlier. Forgive me. Ebal. To curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Le- Oh, we'll wait for the next one. Verse 14. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited. So verses 11 through 13, Moses says, these tribes need to go on this mountain. These tribes need to go on this mountain. So the commandments, the word of God is written on Mount Ebal, and that's where the cursings are going to come from. Several tribes are going to go over there. But on this other mountain, Gerizim, they're going to have another portion of the tribes, and they're going to proclaim the blessings. Now, the blessings are not recorded here in Deuteronomy 27. We're going to see some later blessings, and we saw some earlier, but the cursings are now going to be recorded here. The interesting thing is that this does not happen until Joshua 8. Joshua chapter 8 and verses 32 through 35, we see this taking place as it is written because the nation of Israel lost a battle at the defeat of Ai. And they had lost that battle because of sin within the camp. And so Joshua goes back to the Bible and says, what should we do? Oh, yeah, I remember what Moses proclaimed in the latter part of Deuteronomy, because there's no Deuteronomy chapter 27. That comes millennia later. They don't put the numbers in yet. And they go and they actually do this. A lot of times we do things after the fact, don't we? I'll just speak to myself because I know this never happened to you. You know, sometimes I'll do something really dumb. I'll make a really bad decision. I I wouldn't have done something the way I should have done it. I should have been obedient to the word of God. I should have followed through on the Lord putting it on my heart. And then it doesn't happen. It falls through. There's a catastrophe, a tragedy, or just a reaping what I sow. And what do I do? On my knees, praying, oh, Lord, forgive me. Oh, Lord, restore me. Oh, Lord, please have mercy on me after the fact. Listen, y'all, the majority of the, the majority, all, all of the answers you need for life are in this book. You just got to go in there and get it. It's in there. There is not a major life problem that you have, physical, spiritual, or emotional, that is not in here right now. The Lord is not withholding any information from you. It's in this book, fully recorded. And the Holy Spirit even comes alongside to help you. And he's provided all these resources. But the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, one of my favorites, the lazy man puts his hands to the bowl and is too lazy to lift it to his mouth. One of my favorite Proverbs. The lazy man puts his hand to the bowl and is too lazy to lift it to his mouth. Could that not be any better said for us? Listen. A lot of you come to me and you're like, oh, what about this? Or I don't know how the Lord's leading me here. I was like, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about that? And the answer is always in there. Now, don't feel bad because I used to call Pastor Mark all the time. I used to hang out at his house. I used to text him, call him, annoy him, especially when I was really young and I was in high school. I'd tell him I was going over to hang out with Aaron or Landon, his sons that are my age. And instead, I'd be watching TV with him in the living room asking him Bible questions. But eventually, 
I started to realize that every time I asked him a question, he would just give me an answer that was a Bible verse or from the Bible. And guess what I figured out? Now, you guessed it. I can go get the answers myself. I don't even need him anymore. Like, why am I asking him? He's just going to tell me the same answer all the time. And then I just started going to the book. Now, I still ask him from time to time because I'm dumb, and I know it's been decades, but I still need to be smacked up the head every once in a while. But the same thing is true for you. And he taught me, and I'm sure his pastor taught him, it is easy to be a pastor. It is easy to do marriage counseling. It's easy to do discipleship training. It's easy to do ministry work. It's easy to be a pastor when your fellowship is well-prayed and well-read. If your fellowship is well-prayed and well-read, the amount of marriage counseling goes down, psychological counseling goes down, relationship counseling goes down, turmoil and strife within the fellowship goes down. To the point to the point that even in Megan and I's marriage, when things really start to get nitty-gritty, because we do begin to bicker every once in a while. I know, hold your gas. <laughs> and every once in a while, we're just really in a bad mood. And then ultimately, one of us will say it. What have you been reading lately? Have you been in the Word lately? Have you been praying lately? And it comes right out. Well, back to the text. They had failed in battle. They had made mistakes. They were turning to their sins. They, were, they were, had problems in the camp. But what do they do? Joshua goes back to the word of God, is obedient to scripture, and just does what the book says. How many problems can be solved if we just obeyed the word of God? Well, now <coughs> we're going to see what are they supposed to say from this mountain as we read verses 14 through 26. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and set it up in secret. I, I should have started the preface as we read this. I want you in your mind, if you're a, a Bible student, to say, pass or fail the nation of Israel on this as we go. So first one, I'm going to give you a hint, is already a fail, all right? And all the people shall answer and say, amen. Verse 16, cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due to the stranger and the fatherless and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Verse 23. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. 
Amen. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now, they don't write these laws because nobody's doing it. Right? There's no, there's no sign on the road right now that says no flying because nobody's flying. Now, there's speed limit signs because people are breaking the speed limit all the time. Because if we didn't have a speed limit sign, then people would go even faster and crazier than they do now. But if we put a speed limit sign there and they knew there, there was no police officers ever, they would go what? Faster and crazier. So we have to have a speed limit sign and then we have to have a police officer and they don't know when he's coming, but then when they see those blue lights, everybody slows down. And that's when people begin to change their habits. Well, God gives the warning signs and he says, don't do these things. But then he is also... Our great high priest is also our judge, and he, will br he brings curses on the nation of Israel for not following these things. And if you said that they failed on every single one of those, you would be correct. But I also want you to see that as abomina abominable, these abominations that we see, are they not things that we're dealing with today? You'd think we'd grow out of these things 2,000, 3,000 years later. But man is still the same fallen being that needs to be restored by the Lord Jesus Christ and made into a new creation. And so we think, oh, we're in the 21st century. Right now, this sermon is 2022. And we say, oh, these things, it's never been this crazy. This is the worst it's ever been. Mankind is more fallen than ever. I argue, no, they're not. No, they're not. It's been bad. It's been worse than this. And it is the word of God and the spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is preserving us to be as good as we are right now. And once the Lord removes that Holy Spirit and removes the church from the face of the earth, then it will be the worst it's ever been in all of human history. And so we don't want to be defeated by the enemy to think that we've lost a battle that we've only just begun. Because the Bible tells us that we're to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to occupy until he comes. To love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we've been commanded to do amongst other things. But we get so focused on everyone around us, we don't get focused on us, ourselves. Are we following the word of God? Are we being obedient? Jesus would tell us not to look at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own eye. The world doesn't know Jesus Christ. And the one they curse, they don't even, that's not even the real Jesus. They've made up a new one. Well, we have the gospel and we know better, and yet we still fall and sin. And we are that lazy man that has the word of God. That to read in our own language, people were burned at the stake. For us to have the privilege of having the word of God in our own language. They were stoned to death. They were beaten for religious freedom. They scraped together every penny. Their children died of sickness on rickety, leaky boats. They came to the United States and started a house in a swamp in Jamestown just so that they could worship together without the government getting involved. And for that, we would rather watch TikTok videos, YouTube. We'd rather go and watch late night television. 
We'd rather go on the internet. We'd rather watch fake news. We'd rather do all those things than take on word of God and receive the answers for life and spend time with God. We'd rather go on a vacation to Florida, Maryland, Oregon, Maine, South America, wherever we want to go. And instead of taking maybe a week off to just spend it with God, making an afternoon off and spend it with the the Lord, waking up 20 minutes earlier and just shutting everything off and spending it with the Lord. We'd rather judge the world and say, well, at least I'm not like them. And Jesus says, look at the beam in your own eye before you look at the speck in your brother's eye. We expect to be blessed because of our obedience, and yet God is showing the people of Israel your disobedience will lead to your judgment. And that's exactly what happened. Now, that being said, we are not under the old covenant. Now, I talked to you about the old covenant, and I mentioned earlier I was going to talk to you about conditional and unconditional covenants. For example, Abraham was given a unconditional covenant. God told Abraham, I am going to make you like the stars of the sky, the sand of the seashore. You are going to be the father of many nations. I am going to bring you into the promised land. You will be my chosen people. That is unconditional. God declared it. It happened. This is a conditional covenant. Uh, Jay Vernon calls it the Palestinian covenant. It's just the, the covenant of the land or the nation of Israel's covenant. The covenant was this. If you obey these things, great things are going to happen to you. If you disobey these things, you're going to be accursed and an abomination. And as we look in the book of Judges, we see the beginning of this continual cycle of the nation of Israel falling, repenting, restored, falling, repenting, restored, falling, repenting, restored, until eventually they're taken into captivity, into Babylon and into Persia. And then God even restores them from them because he gave them another unconditional covenant that he would never leave them nor forsake them. Now, no matter what cursing, no matter what judgment, no matter what happening took place, he was going to never leave them or forsake them. That was another unconditional covenant. A conditional covenant was God told them, if you continue to worship idols, if you don't keep the Sabbath year and honor it, I'm going to hold you into captivity for 70 years. And he did. But he also made an unconditional covenant to Daniel that he was going to restore them into the promised land. And he did. Because the Lord always keeps his promises. He cannot lie. Now, we are under a new unconditional covenant. Because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. The law is no longer to be kept because it is completed in him. And he gave us an unconditional covenant that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave us an unconditional covenant that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart the Lord Jesus, that he will fill us with the Holy Spirit and make us a new creation unconditionally. And so we are not under the same judgment the nation of Israel was corporately, Because he took our judgment upon himself, and by his stripes, we are healed. And I will tell you now, if there was any covenant to keep on my part, I would be a pillar of salt, a pillar of ash. I would be smited. Because in my flesh, I can do nothing. And Jesus knows that 
And that's why he told us, apart from me, you can do nothing. So what are we to do then? They were to sit there on the mountain, the Levites and the tribes, and to proclaim these cursings. Obey God, we're his chosen people, do it or else. On the other side of the valley, in the other mountain, if you obey God, these blessings are going to come your way. Well, what about us? What are we to do? We are to proclaim the gospel from the mountaintop with the word of God with us. We are to share this good news of this new covenant. And that's why it's called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That he who is free is free indeed as he saves people from the bondage of sickness, suffering, and death the enslavement of Satan on this planet. And he does that all on his own. And we simply have to believe and obey to receive. That it is no longer of works, but by faith that you are saved. And then we're to continue to share it until his glorious return. We're not trying to earn his favor by deeds, a checklist, if you do all these things, he will be happy. But we're to have a relationship of grace and love, being obedient to his will, that when we do enter that kingdom and we will all stand before him face to face, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the grace of, of the Lord. Or will he not? He has given you an unconditional promise that you will enter the kingdom as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible in the New Testament warns us as entering the kingdom as unto fire, meaning with no rewards, no crowns, you just barely got in, and Jesus will not say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That saying is conditional. It depends on what you do. But I praise God for his unconditional promise that whosoever believes, even to the last hour, the last minute, as Pastor Chuck would say, from the saddle to the, gr to the ground and calls out to repentance, just as Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. It's true for all of us. How can we not yell from the mountaintop about our Lord? Let's pray. And we'd like to spend the rest of the evening in intercessory prayer. Just pray loud enough that we can all hear one at a time so we can agree with you. Lord, we lift up this time of prayer to you. We pray for families that are traveling. We do pray for those that are here. We pray for those that are sick. Uh, we pray for the new babies that were born. We thank you and praise you for them, Lord. And we do want to pray for, for healing there. We pray for those that are struggling this evening, Lord, and pray that you would touch them. And we just thank you that you call us to pray and to pray without ceasing and pray that you would lead us this evening in Jesus' name.